Good afternoon. This afternoon we will uh, move on to the last, but definitely not least, of the Brahma Viharas, the, um, the Brahma Vihara of equanimity. Equanimity, I'm so glad that equanimity is a Brahma Vihara because the, the kind of insight and balance and steadiness that is the understanding of equanimity, that is the embodiment of equanimity, is so much of what allows the other heart qualities to really be boundless, for us to not hold back in our expressions of, mudet, of, of uh, I was going to say mumetta, but of metta and um, karuna and mudita. Equanimity, you'll hear a lot more about equanimity in a Dharma talk uh, shortly, but just to share a little bit about equanimity as a Brahma Vihara, um, it relates to the understanding of karma, to the understanding that whether or not we like what's happening, whether or not what's happening is pleasant or painful, that what's happening is unfolding lawfully, that what's happening is unfolding in a way that is in accord with causes and conditions, and that really nothing um, in the conditioned world, in the conventional world, nothing's really left out of that. So equanimity invites a kind of stability and maturity and spaciousness to um, allow ourselves to be wishing well but not being attached to the outcome. So I'm just going to share a little bit about how equanimity impacts the other three Brahma Viharas and just a few more words about the understanding uh, that underlies equanimity practice. I guess I should say the phrases for equanimity practice are along the lines of, of, um, of I honor your life's journey. I... Uh, Whether I understand this or not, things are unfolding lawfully. Things are as they are. You can feel it's such a different flavor, right? It's like a a cooler flavor, a little bit cooler and quieter than the other Brahma Viharas. Uh, Things are as they have come to be. And Gil Fransdahl adds, and now let's see. I like that. Things are as they have come to be. And now let's see. The classical phrase for equanimity. All, all beings are the owners of their own karma. Your happiness or unhappiness is a result of your actions, not my wishes for you. It's like, notice what happens when you hear this. So I'll, I'll language it in um, toward you, that you are the owner of your own karma. Your happiness or unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you. See how that lands in your body, in your heart. I think before I say more, I want to be really clear that uh, Equanimity is not indifference. Equanimity is not apathy. Equanimity is not a kind of privileged, removed, um, 
I've surpassed all that. You know, it doesn't really bother me. It's, it's all okay. It's, you know, it's all karma. Equanimity, that's not at all the flavor of a mature equanimity. I know in my own practice, it's, it's the equanimity that really allows the heart to open. And equanimity has a, has a feeling of empathy, actually, um, within it. So equanimity isn't at all, I don't care. Equanimity is, I'm not going to fight with reality. Because reality always wins. You know, what's happening in any given moment is the result of countless causes and conditions. It's like so humbling to really see that, whether you're looking out at something in the world or whether you're considering something in your own life or, um, or just the, the ups and downs of your own mind stream, you know, from, from moment to moment. So equanimity, in a sense, stretches. It stretches the limits of what we can accept. And the practice of mindfulness acceptance is such an essential part of the tone of mindful awareness. So equanimity really lives in mindfulness, too. Um, and considering the classical phrase, the phrase um, about karma, I think we say this over and over again, but I think it does not get heard, and I really want you to hear that not everything, the Buddha did not teach that everything that's happening is karma. I actually brought the sutta with me in case there were any questions. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he states very, very clearly that saying that everything that happens is karma is overshooting, overshooting, overrepresenting this teaching of karma that can be liberating. So we can use the teaching of karma to be liberating, freeing, and freeing, or we can use it to be um, shaming. But the Buddha is very clear in saying that many conditions of the body are not a result of karma. You know, like if you're dealing with something in your body, please don't leave here thinking, oh, I did something bad at some point, so now this is my negative karma. That is such a simplistic interpretation. The Buddha um, says that many assaults, assaults and abuse, are not at all necessarily um, the result of karma. The, the Buddha talks about how certain things that happen in terms of, of climate, we know that climate change has a karmic component at this point, but that certain things such as, um, you know, like earthquakes and hurricanes, that many of these arisings aren't really uh, related to, to karma. So it would not be a... It would not be a correct understanding of the teachings to say that everything is karma or to understand equanimity practice as being that everything that's happening is karma. But equanimity practice is really keying into this um, piece that, that our happiness has to do with how we are in relationship to things as they are. It's actually very empowering in a certain sense. I, I was just... Uh, doing some equanimity practice in my room just for myself before coming up here and just feeling like, oh gosh, when I know I'm the owner of my own, of my own actions and that my happiness is related to my actions, my happiness um, is related to my actions. There's just a sense of, holy cow, like, wow, we can shape our lives. We can shape our sense of happiness, which is different than shaping exactly what happens, right? But shaping our relationship to what happens be a very empowering, uh, empowering teaching. And as I was doing equanimity practice for the neutral people, 
persons walking up here. I was just going through the phrases in my mind for the people who are down building the, the community meditation hall, these workers that are you know, spending the better part of the day and have, have made the hall go from what it looked like when you got here to what it looks like now. And I just noticed that when I um, was just saying, you know, your, your happiness is a result of your actions, not my wishes for you, what happens for me is just a sense of so much tenderness for this human predicament, this human conditioning that, um, that until we're completely free, in some level we are buffeted about by these winds of karma. So there's a sense of, of um, real, real tenderness in seeing that, in seeing that. So equanimity, uh, with regard to loving kindness and metta, when we wish someone well, uh, we have no idea, right? That question's probably been asked. You know, do you believe it's really something's really going to happen when you wish well? We have no idea in a larger sense what, what goes on. We know that it's good for us to wish others well, but um, in wishing well, the presence of equanimity helps us not be attached to the outcome. That we can wish well no matter what, no matter what happens. We can wish well. And in terms of the Brahma Vihara of compassion, this larger understanding of causes and conditions, you know, everything um, arises from this matrix of causes and conditions. It's really difficult to meet suffering in an undefended way if, um, if there's not equanimity. Because what comes right away is, is this... Um, merging with it in a certain sense. So equanimity really gives the spaciousness that we need to really meet suffering in a direct way. It's, that's the felt sense of equanimity to me is, is great spaciousness. So when we accept the truth of how things are really, that's where compassion can be pure. If you think about that in our, you know, in our social movements, collective movements, it takes coming down to the truth of oh, this is actually really how it is. You know, insert whatever you want to there. That from really coming to terms with the truth of how things are, that's where, okay, I, I, I can really touch that and care in a, in a, in a full way. And uh, mudita, mudita is so important because equanimity can seem very serious and stern and uh, still without the presence of joy. So joy keeps equanimity uh, buoyant and alive and expressive. So we'll do a little practice. There will be time, like always, for, for questions and comments at the end. So as you, as you settle, let's first connect with a sense of, uh, of stability. Like, um, as if you could sit like a mountain, just grounded. Stability of presence, wakefulness. 
rooted. I invite you to open, open to some measure of calm. As though each in-breath could bring a sense of settling. Calming. Balancing. Calming with whatever is here. I'm not changing the experience, just softening with the experience. You might just sense your own, your own wish for peace, balance. And letting that just reverberate through your own wish for balance, your wish for peace. and your capacity, the way you know peace and know balance now. And we begin in equanimity practice with with the neutral person. So go ahead and bring to mind the neutral person, whether it's the same person you've been using for the other Brahma Viharas or whether it's a different person, just uh, some being, some person where, you know, you you don't really know a whole lot about this person and there's not a, a lot of charge, you know, in terms of like or dislike. Really bring the image, the image near you.
And as you see this, this being, you might connect with the, the range of what this person experiences, the range of challenge, the range of delight. How just like you, this this person is doing what they know to be happy and they are living within countless causes and conditions, most of which are are, uh, not directly up to them. You might appreciate or sense the the degree of wellness or non-wellness that's true for this person in their body. You may not know exactly. Knowing that this person wants to be loved, has relationships, at some point, a mother and a father. So seeing the image of this person and just appreciating the scope of, um, of their life. And you might use one or many phrases I honor your life's journey. Whether I understand it or not, things for you are unfolding lawfully. no matter how much I might wish for things to be otherwise, things are as they are. You are the owner of your own karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions, actions, not on my wishes for you. You are the owner of your own karma. Your happiness or unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you.
Really take as much time as you need with the phrases to connect with what they really mean.
If it becomes dry or rote, let yourself just sense into the, the personhood of this being. This being is a person, human. It's connecting again. I honor your life's journey. Things are as they are. Whether I understand it or not, things are unfolding lawfully. You are the owner of your own karma. Your happiness and unhappiness is a result of your actions, not my wishes for you.
And now allowing the image of the neutral person to fade. We'll move into equanimity for self. So as you sit here, your own, your own deeply known, heartfelt measure of joy and sorrow, practicing the Dhamma, This opening to this flavor of equanimity as it relates to your own happiness, your own struggle. Remembering that these phrases really point more toward our relationship to how things are than than the actual conditions themselves. May I accept the conditions of my life with ease. It's this wish of peace. No matter how much I might wish for things to be otherwise, things are as they are. Let this soften the heart. Connecting you. Things are as they have come to be. And now let's see. I am the owner of my own karma. My happiness and unhappiness depend upon my actions, not upon my wishes. (laughs) 